Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 540 with Susie Maitland. And all it said is breath, motherfucker. Breath. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Cash flow is something every small business is worried about, and it's hard to know at any given moment how you're doing. And worse, it's virtually impossible to predict the future until now. Welcome to CashflowTool.com, the ultimate companion for any small business using QuickBooks. CashflowTool.com gives you instant visibility on any device anywhere of your cash flow, and it also alerts for unexpected expenses. On top of all this, it analyzes your past finances and projects how much money your company will have tomorrow, next week, and next month. Go to www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and receive pro features at the essential features price. Introducing Ethics Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicssuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time, that's ethicssuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable. <clears throat> With excitement, allow me <laughs> to introduce to you today's guest, Susie Maitland. Susie, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling amazingly unstoppable. Yeah, it always makes me feel good when my guests laugh at me as I introduce them. <laughs> Sorry about <laughs> it's that. okay. I love it. Uh, Susie Malin was born in Tacoma, Washington and raised in Tallahassee, Florida. Eventually found herself in New England where she attended Cambridge Culinary Institute and crossed paths with future business partner Bo Sturm at Boston-based Metropolitan Club. Today, alongside business partners Jay Balau, Emma Hollander, Josh Child, and Bo Sturm, Maitland serves as executive chef and owner of two Trina Starlight Lounges, the Paddle Inn, uh, Polar Bar, sorry, Parlor Bar, and Audubon. <laughs> There's a lot going on there. Uh, and all these are based between Boston and the Massachusetts North Shore. So um, I actually had Bo and Josh on the show together. If you guys want to check out that episode, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 356. It was a great chat with those two dudes. But now it's your time to shine Susie and I can't wait to dive into your story and to find out how you got to where you are today but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us um I think there's well there's two mantras that I actually have all the time um that go on when you know every chef knows this when you get down in the craziness and the depths of basically I don't know how much more I can take one is a little PG. It's uh, Dora, Dory the fish from oh, yeah. Pixar. Yeah. The just keep swimming, just <laughs> yeah. keep swimming. Uh, Josh and I do that back and forth to each other a lot. Nice. Um, the other comes from some graffiti I saw on a wall in Cambridge. And all it said is breath, motherfucker, breath. 
and it made me laugh because I'm pretty sure they meant breathe. But from now on, I do it. I just tell myself, you just got a breath. You got a breath. <laughs> I love it. And I think both of those quotes are really just the mindset stuff, right? When the oh, shit yeah. hits the fan, which is going to happen weekly, mm-hmm. if not daily in this industry, there's not much you can do but just breathe, control your emotions, and just keep going and figure it out. And uh, do yeah. you want to dive more into that? Like Absolutely. what it means to you? Uh, exactly what you're saying. This Right now, it might feel like it's the end of the world. It might feel like you're not going to make it. You might want to sit down and cry. I suggest going to the walk-in. It's really quiet. <laughs> it's you cool. Nobody you hears you. It's perfect. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, it's going to be good. It's going to be okay because you're doing your best. Everyone else is doing their best, and you just got to breathe, work through it. And you know what? It's going to be okay. Yeah, and I think it just takes a lot of um, time and emotional uh, intelligence and growth to know that when you do forget to just breathe and you do let whatever is happening in that situation get the best of you and you and you your your consciousness just gets flooded with emotions mm-hmm. like it's gonna whatever the outcome would have been it will be like 10 times worse absolutely awesome stuff. absolutely great way to get this thing started all right so where does the story start with you when did you commit your life to this industry oh wow um i was Unfortunately, not one of those many who knew exactly what they wanted to do straight off the bat. I'm still super jealous of the people that were like 15 <laughs> years old. I was in there doing dishes, and this is it. This was my life. Um, I went to college, and I was bouncing back and forth between majors and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to f- see my life and structured. And the whole time, we were always having, of course, parties at the house. But I was making feasts where I was making homemade gnocchi and lasagnas and like stuff that we could put out to keep people not from dying from the keg beer and everything. But (laughs) and I realized that I really just loved that aspect, that aspect of making people happy and bringing people together. And so I was like, you know what I I do? I want to I want to go to culinary school. So I took a couple of years to get some money together and moved up to Boston. Did you work in a restaurant before going to culinary school? No, I hadn't. Um, My mom always had a love for food. We had two really good friends growing up, um, one uh, Italian and one French chefs that they would have. You'd go to their houses and have these feasts. So it was like just always ingrained in me that like there's this beauty behind it. There's beauty behind food and, and the process. Now, you waited a few years uh, you weren't like straight out of high school, culinary school. Uh, how old were you when you did eventually attend culinary school? When I did eventually, I think I was 23, which okay. in the world of going to culinary school is like ancient. Which is, I think, a good thing, though. Uh, I've right. seen there's definitely been a trend with the people who wait to mature emotionally and just in general to mature uh, to go to culinary school. They always end up taking that experience 10 times further than they would have if they started five years earlier, say when they were 18. Right. Did yeah. You, do you think that waiting a little bit longer influenced or, uh, yeah, influenced your, your, I guess, experience in culinary school? Um, you know, I think that I, I took from it a little bit more. I just wanted a, a basic jump off, but like, yeah, I was, it was taking more to heart. Like I was memorizing things more. I was studying more. Um, I was also working three jobs at the same time. So I was actually putting myself in those places in, in culinary, you know, I was doing catering. I was working in Finale, which is a bakery. I was 
really throwing myself full into it. And you got the party bug out of your system a little bit. <laughs> uh, we all party. And I just laughed hard. Everybody who knows me is like, sure, she did. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like when you're 18 years old, like you're going hard. You know, hard, like yep. you're going hard and like your life is like all about when the next party is, you know. Yep. And you get that out of your system. And I feel like you can make the most of your time, especially culinary school is not cheap. You know, uh, no, it's not. It's not. And some people still have the why would you go versus, you know, what what did you get out of it? Um, For me, it was just a basic knowledge. If I had to go back, I might not actually go to culinary school. It's great on paper. So why? Why wouldn't you knowing what you know now? Why wouldn't you have gone into culinary school? Um, I think because getting in there and having hands on and getting beaten up in the kitchen, that's really where a lot of the knowledge comes from. Yeah. Um, there's books, you know, dive into books. There's so many books now that yeah. like every day there's a new cookbook coming out from a great chef across the country that you might not be exactly. able to get an opportunity to work with, but you can look through and feel their passion and their energy through yeah. them. And you were lucky. You were one of the lucky few that make the decision to go to culinary school and then finish with a degree and enter the field and still love it. So many people think that they're going to love it. And if they think it's right. their dream cooking for people all the time. And then the reality of the industry kicks in. Yeah. And you got lucky. Like, you you know, you love it, uh, but not everybody does. It's true. It's hard to figure out that after you've mm-hmm. committed to your life and this, all this money. You know? Right. Well, yeah. And I think the reality is it's not an easy industry. I think, especially on TV now, it's really, it looks good. It looks great. Um, it looks beautiful. Like, you, you see these people going in and people being chefs and doing all these cool things. But the reality is you have to work hard. And I, from the beginning, I had, you know, friends who were chefs and you know cousins out west that were chefs and my mom even was like what are you doing you know how hard this is going to be and I was like yeah I knew so I knew right from the beginning I was ready to get beat up to like give you the reality the reality check are you willing to do this absolutely Uh, so you graduated you said you were working at uh, Finale Mm -hmm. uh, while you were in school Uh, you thought you were going to do the pastry thing what happened there um, that was during the pre-interview chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that was the like, other people secrets like, people don't know. Like, <laughs> when did you say that? Go for um, it. It was fun. It was cool. It was really nice to learn that that side of it. Um, but I really realized there was a whole other world out there of cooking, the savory parts that I really wanted to learn that I had less knowledge about that. Um, so I that I stumbled with. Mm-hmm. So I was like, it's time for you to go and and learn that stuff so that you could be well-rounded. Okay. So, um, you wanted to work on your kind of like your resume. Was mm, there something ab- about uh, pastry that just didn't sit well with you? Or did you, was it not what you thought it would be? Um, you know, that's a good question. Um, it's beautiful and it, the technique is right on and you have to, it's more, um, has more pr- like parameters. Um, well, it's baking. I mean, it's, it's, it's science. Bake, it's like, science. Like, and you know, that the part heat, I love. The, the but moisture, like any yeah. of those things factor in. It, in it. Right. Like, I don't know. Unless I couldn't deal with that. Like, that would <laughs> kill me. But, yeah. Um, um, yeah. I don't know. I just said both sides were so different that and one was more broad. And I, you know, I'd like to be able to just do something and come up with it and not think about it having to start from a base. Um, I, you know, and then the truth of the matter is also a little of it was monetary. You know, yeah. I, I knew that pastry chefs didn't make as much. And, you know, I'm living in a big city and 
Tell that to you know? Joanne Chang. <laughs> I love her so much. Oh, man, I'm she's still amazing. trying to get her on the show. I'm tagging you in this episode, Joanne. <laughs> uh, she, she's awesome. She's tried to come on the show a couple It just never works out. She's always so busy. She just opened her eighth. Her I know. Eighth the I, other I, day. I mean, like it, it will happen. Good I'm for persistent. Her, man. But uh, anyway, back to you. Uh, so, no, let's talk about other people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, you decided to chase other uh, verticals within the industry. How did mm-hmm. you approach that? Were you being strategic or were you just kind of taking opportunities as they came take us through that thought process um yeah so that thought process i did i went and stodged a a couple different places um as everyone knows there's always a spot for people are always looking for cooks so that was kind of an interesting way of learning more about myself who i am what i really wanted to do what you learn about yourself as you're going along um i learned that i I don't like as much structure you know (laughs) and there there was a amazing places that I went into that were very, you know, this is how it is all the time. They break it down and it was just like, okay. Um, all right. Yeah. Rigid felt like, you know, a little cold to the outsider and I'm not, that's not my personality. I'm Mm -hmm. welcoming and, you know, open arms to everybody. Um, even the people that don't like to hug, I make them hug me, but so I, I stumbled I don't, across. I got a hug on my. Did I get a hug when I came in? Here? No, oh. because you were carrying stuff, and I got. I felt it'd be awkward. <laughs> That's right. I'll, I'll let you make up for it. <laughs> don't worry. Out. I'll give you two hugs. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I, you know, I I went and uh, staged at Olives out in Charlestown, okay. and it had. I mean, not only a, a giant open flame kitchen, but like a you know oven and a grill. It just felt warm. Mm. It felt like that was a spot for me, and everyone's joking around immediately, and like. I was able to already see things that I didn't know. Like what? And, um, they, you know, making ham, hey, pastas. And um, I didn't know how to stoke a, an oven, you know, and I didn't know how to do these things. And I was just watching everything. Like I had the basics. I could brew off vegetables. But, you know, why are you, you know, making that sauce that way? Yeah. Did people, did you go after and try to find out the why? Or were people teaching you the why? How did that go down? Oh, absolutely. Um, after I took the job there, uh, I asked so many questions. Every, like so many questions. Actually, my good friend Joey Garino nicknamed me the Riddler because he was like, "What? Stop!" <laughs> like I, they would be making something, and I would have one question after the other that's after the awesome. other. Um, but it, why I'm is still on so his phone. Is that? Like that's like dive into the significance of asking why into constantly. You have to constantly why? ask because you constantly need to be learning. Mm. You constantly need to be pushing yourself further. I and love yeah. It. What about people during this time at Olives? Was there any person, uh, a mentor that stands out more than others? And what did you learn from this person? And what kind of person was this person? Um, You know, I think the executive chef, Todd Weiner, um, I learned a lot from. I learned uh, his passion for food, his creativity. Uh, He spent time overseas. You could see that. He brought that back. He just didn't do... I mean, it was a very Mediterranean place, but he could see that he had influence from all over, Mm. you know, and that has always driven me to kind of take a little something in everything. Every dish we make is, has not always just been one way. So you learned that those characteristics as far as a chef, but what about as a leader, as a a manager, as a a business type person? Did you learn any tricks on how to lead or how to present yourself in front of others that look up to you? Um, from Toddy, I learned how to really just be a good, a good leader in the kitchen. Um, 
by pushing me he, or he, he would actually step back and kind of let you do it. And then would, would tell you when you're stepping out of line Okay. or be like, you know, it's about time. I think the first time that like, I finally realized how that went was, uh, they had just promoted me to CDC and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I was scared and I went in with a clipboard and started marking down all the meets cause I had seen someone else do it. And he walked out and he's like, it's about time you did that. And it had been like two weeks and I was like, all right, cool. I get it now. Like, you know, here I am. Nobody's going to hold my hand. It's my turn. I mean, I got in this position. Now I have to help myself move forward. So what you, what was the lesson there about leadership exactly that you learned from him? I learned that he was always watching, (laughs) you know, like that, like uh, someone's always watching you and someone's always going to be able to tell you when it's time, like, okay. And correct you. But that you got to let people learn on their own a little bit. And then come through and help and support them. Yeah. Um, it's not just always over their shoulder, like, bl- like bamming them in the face, like, do this, do that. You know, like, it, that's really intimidating. And it allowed me to kind of grow more as a, as a person. Nice. And, yeah. Was there ever a time um, where you did need to be told something? Or did it always oh, let every- All the time. <laughs> okay. you kidding me? So how do you, like, how do you find that balance, <laughs> do you think, of letting them people figure well, it out on their own and then just being like, all right, like you need to know this now. Like, how do you, how do you find that balance? Um, it just, you can feel it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you're like, again, I, I think every good chef knows everything and they know where everything is in the kitchen, you know, they could tell you if something's moved, they can tell you the, you know, the guy in the corner is about to burn his bread and tell you the dishwasher is not properly. There's no soap, you know, there's, there's a there's a give and give and take, but there is a okay. What are you doing over there? I'm making bread. How are you making it? Same thing. I'm asking them questions. Yeah, you know you're the Riddler let, becomes gonna, the other way. Exactly. You're drawing them, or you're bringing them to the solution. You're not telling them the solution. Right. You're you're forcing them to think about it and right. come to it on their own, which, which is really powerful. Why is that so powerful? It allows them to find themselves too, to mm-hmm. find themselves as, as cooks. Like we can all sit here and have all mentors all day long, and it's awesome. But each cook takes and chef takes something from each one to create their own. Their own mantra, if you will. I love it. I also think it, it encourages people to think for themselves. If you're constantly mm-hmm. giving people the answer, they're going right. to look for you for the answer or to you for the answer. Right. But if you encourage them to solve it on their own, then you're developing that habit of thinking for yourself. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Uh, okay. So eventually you found yourself at the Metropolitan uh, where you mm-hmm. ended up meeting your future business partner. What brought you to the Metropolitan? What was going on there? Uh, well, Chef Todd Weiner had moved over there and had asked for people to come over. And, and I was like, sure, that's awesome. You know what? I get an opportunity to learn about breaking down beef and meats and, you know, steakhouse. Cool. I've done the Metropolitan, you know, Mediterranean. Now I'm going to go do the steakhouse and see that aspect of how that functions. So are these two restaurants still around today? All is in the Metropolitan Club? Oh, my God. No, they're both closed. Isn't so that horrible? we can speak about them. Looking at these <laughs> restaurants. Um, we're going to speak nicely, everyone. Yeah, we're not going to say anything bad. But looking at these restaurants, um, yeah. what was going on at the Olive uh, Restaurant or Olives where um, there was a desire to leave to go to a new restaurant? Being from the outside looking in, it sounds like Chef Todd went to the Metropolitan. Mm-hmm. What was going on in this, this situation f- for the switch? Um, I'm not 100% what was going on. <clears throat> and, you know, the, Olive's was a part of many restaurants that Todd English owned. Um, and so I can't really speak about what was going behind closed doors. I really don't know. It just did feel like 
um, everything would be the same. Everything would carry on the same. It would be okay. And that was more to me not as exciting as, okay, well, I'm going to follow this guy and, and shake it up a bit. Yeah. You know, I'm going to follow chef and let's see what really happens. Exactly. You know, I don't want everything to just be the same. You know, the, I don't want the next chef to come in here and we'll all be creating the same polenta and the same whatever. Like I needed to change. You it was a personal change for myself. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you made the move with them. You pushed the envelope. What was that like? How, how, how did you grow as a professional at this point? Uh, it, you know, like it was great. I, um, I went in there just being like, I, Again, just I want to be on this station. I want to do this. Um, I learned a lot about butchery, and then which is what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And then you know, because of all the restaurants opening and it getting busier and busier, and it was further out that it was harder to get staff. When you say all the restaurants opening, you're talking about just generally speaking. Generally speaking, Boston? Boston started Blowing right up. afterwards rebuilding. This is yeah, 2000. Well, there was the yeah there was the recession, and okay. then after that. So this is 2007, 2008. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a busy time. This is also around the mm-hmm. time the smartphone came out and everybody was sharing across the nation, like, what's being done. What's a, being done, yeah, yeah. it was an interesting time for food, definitely. Absolutely. And it was a time, in, you know, in Boston where every really nice restaurant started having a burger on the menu. You yeah. had to. <laughs> right. You know, like, people were watching every penny. You know, people got hit hard. So, so why, what, what was the move? Why do you think people were putting a burger on the menu? What, what happens to the menu when you do that? Um, I don't think anything really happens to a menu. Um, you know, I, this is also Bo is probably rolling his eyes right now because when we first opened the paddle in, I refused to put a burger on the menu. Um, everyone kept telling us, you need a burger on the menu. You need a burger on the menu. And I was like, no, I don't. You know, people need to come in and experience what our food is. If we put a burger on the menu, it's just a safe bet. Mm-hmm. Um because the menu here is a little more eclectic. I think the time then was different than the time now, two or yeah. two years ago. Uh, the time then, uh, people weren't as eclectic as they are No, today. absolutely not. People didn't have they, – they had access tech- to technology, but they didn't live with technology in their pocket. They couldn't right. just – search what this menu item was and become familiar with it. Like they had to experience it. So (laughs) food wasn't as approachable then as it is Mm -hmm. today because you can, you can warm up to it. You can research it. You can see it on TV and all the food channels. Like people just like you ask, you say the word frog now. Everybody, everybody knows you said that 20 years ago or 10 years ago, people are like, what the hell's frog? Yeah. The knowledge is out there. Charcuterie. What the hell's charcuterie? Like these are words that are common Mm -hmm. day now. Uh, so I can see I, I kind of agree with what you're saying. Like you can break away from the, the safe things e- easier today because people like to push the envelope, right? Yeah, and you know that comes with all those shows that glorify what we're doing. Is um, you, the knowledge is really out there, and it's and you said it's more attainable. Yeah. You can sit at your like table and be like, I have no idea what that word is. I don't know what Baba Ganoush is. Boom, open yeah. it up, and all of a sudden. You don't look like a jerk. Yeah, you but, can research it before you order. Like, am I saying this right? I'll watch a quick video before I order my meal. <laughs> I'm guilty. But then again, I've that's what it. we're here for is to <laughs> yeah. help you, to help guide you, to help you learn new things and, you know, enjoy something you've never had before. Absolutely. So uh, any major takeaways from your time at the Metropo- Metropolitan Club? Anything that big learning moments for you, things that you leverage to this day that we can dive into? Uh, that I take away. I am. I took away uh, really how to manage, to really learn that it's not just barking at people. It's literally getting to know people. Um, on the other end, that 
the guests out there could be very particular. I mean, some, some tickets would come in and it would be like a two foot long ticket and it would literally be for just a salad. And you'd be like, all right, it was taking back that pride or whatever it is and just cooking or making whatever the guests wanted at that time. You know, um, it's guest first. You, that's, you're there to make the guest happy. And if you can, if all, like, all those things are in-house, you're going to find them. You're going to put them together and you're going to serve it. So what's the conversation you have? What's the internal conversation when you get that ticket that prints out that's two feet long and it has two items on it? <laughs> or, like, how do you keep yourself from flipping over shit in the kitchen and throwing pans? And like, What's going on? How do you overcome that anger? <laughs> I think now versus then are two different things. Then I would have flipped over table and then I would have gone and gotten it done. <laughs> Um, now, um, you know, it's kind of comical. I, you know, you have to kind of laugh. You have to be like, of course this is coming in in the middle of our hard rush and the dishwasher's broken and there's water over the floor and, you know, they're telling me that the walk, like the walk-in's going down and you got to laugh a little bit. You have to be like, okay, of course this, of course at this moment, yeah. you know, um, or if, you know what, this is what this person wants. Fine. Mm. You know, uh, and then there's there's the just keep swimming that just pops up and you're just like, all right, let's get it done. And I think now more as you're a leader, you have to like, just be like, all right, everybody, come on, let's do it. Because they're thinking the same thing, Yes, you yeah. know, and, and you what happens if you let it affect you, it's going to trickle down. To it just trickle else. down. Yep. You can't, you have to just, you know, so as this tickets printing and it's still going and it's still going like, in the the emotion starting to swell within you of like what's this thing <laughs> gonna say like do you just start singing that song in your head or is there like a a conversation you have with like don't lose your cool Susie like <laughs> no I I think you're just like especially when you're in the weeds you're just listening to that ticket and you're like what <laughs> but then when you pull it up and it is two items you're like, okay it's only two items and yeah. not seventeen okay but then you're also like what is going on. And then hopefully you're praying that it's just a server messing yeah. with you. And <laughs> <laughs> just all it says is, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. But usually it's not. I've heard a lot of people say that when they get those crazy things, they see it. The, what the, the mind game they play with themselves is this is a competition. This is a, a chance to really like do something extraordinary, to, to take it the extra mile, to stand out. And then when you flip that as a negative thing and you make it a positive thing, like, mm-hmm. oh, sweet, a yeah, challenge. Absolutely. Like, let's knock this one out of the park. Let's do it exactly the way they want it. Like, you can, everything, you have control over how you react to it, right? So why not make that negative into a positive? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, make it the best darn salad they've yeah, ever had. Right on. So this is also the time that you cross paths with a future business partner. So... Take us through – that was the first business partner that you met, right? There's mm-hmm. now like five or six of you. Like it's kind of hard, the the dynamics of what's going on behind all these restaurants. There's so – yeah, there's a lot of us. Yeah. So Bo was the first person that you crossed paths with. What was that mm-hmm. initial relationship like? Uh, yeah. So originally Bo and Trina, his wife, um, they were both working the Metropolitan Club. Trina was um, behind the bar and Bo was, I believe, the AGM at the time. Uh, and they were just awesome people. They were just the, like, I called them the really hip Barbie and Ken. They were gorgeous and they just knew everything. Like they were, they'd been in the industry. This is their life. This is what they've been doing forever. They were knowledgeable, but was like just a leader in general. Um, and it was cool to meet them. And then, you know, they, they, they left, they had parted ways with the restaurant. Um, and I stayed there and, you know, the Met Club has many restaurants now that, so they were building and building and building. Um, 
and it was just time for me to, to move on. And then I heard, you know, they were opening a restaurant and I went and was like, Hey, you know, what's going on? And Bo gave me the rundown and I was tired. And I think every chef gets that point. Like, where do I go next? I don't, you know, I didn't really know where I was supposed to go. I didn't know if I should push myself even harder and go this way, or if I just wanted to take just a break for a little bit. And Bo was like, just take a break, flip some burgers. Don't worry about it. Uh, I was like, all right, I could do that. Um, it's not exactly how that turned out. <laughs> uh, we, you know, I flipped burgers, but we created an, an awesome Southern style menu. So and you left the Metropolitan Club. You went to Trina Starlight Lounge and he mm-hmm. was, the conversation was just come flip burgers here. Yeah, because it was just supposed to be a temporary thing. It was supposed to be, we had a uh, Greg Reeves of finale of Viale finale. Sorry. Viale, um, was the, he had already written a menu. Uh, and he was going to be the consulting chef. And then I was just going to hang out and kind of manage for a while till I figured out what I wanted to do. And, um, and then I wouldn't leave them hanging. I would let them find the right fit, but, uh, it just turned out to be me. Yeah. So yeah, it was wh- good. why, like what happened? Like how did that conversation go? When it, how did you just end up in this executive chef role at this point? Were you the, <laughs> did you, you, you are a partner now. I am a partner now. So yes. we'll get to that point. But mm-hmm. at this point you, they bring you on as the, exec, the executive chef. How did yeah. that conversation go down? Um, that's really funny because there wasn't a conversation. <laughs> uh, and if you, if you know me, it, it pretty kind of like things just happen. I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, what happened was, unfortunately, Greg had, was running his restaurant so uh, at Green Street, and I was just cooking all. It came up with all the recipes. It came up with everything. Uh, we started working, and then one day, they, Bo was just like, yeah, you're the executive chef. And I was like, cool. I mean, but by then, it wasn't just <laughs> flipping burgers anymore. It yeah. was a full-on restaurant, and we were busy, and it was a good vibe, and they're great people to work for and with, and... Yeah. So let's let's kind of reflect. We've I've had uh, Bo and Josh on the show again. That was episode mm-hmm. five hundred and thirty six. So you can head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash five. Was that five thirty six or five forty six? I'll verify in the at the end of the, the show if you guys want to check it out. Listen uh, to two. One of those two. <laughs> um, we learned from both Josh and Bo, like their values and how they approach things. But from the outside looking in, you said that mm-hmm. uh, Bo was just such a great leader. Mm-hmm. What, what Paint that picture of what a great leader was. And what was it about him that made you want to come follow him to a new location? Um, the, again, you, we get to the word passion. You know, he, this is what he wanted. This was his, his dream. This was his place. He had, you know, envisioned it forever. Um, you know, he knew lot about wine he knew all the managing stuff like he knew like he's he's a remarkable person he knew how he could go he used to cook in the kitchen for when he was younger so he could jump in the kitchen he was all the way around um knowledgeable and josh in, in the same manner they teach me every day something new so they're knowledgeable versatile or, or versatile versatile yep. versatile passionate yeah yeah <laughs> uh, what about how they treated other people as far as the leaders yeah. That's probably the one thing um, anybody who has worked for them can say how wonderful they treat everybody and they they genuinely care and they Give me genuinely. An um, how do you know it's genuine? Like, you can just feel. I mean, you feel it. You know it. It's little things. It's like getting a a, a nice sweet note from Josh. You know, um, it's like I appreciate you. You're like what? What? Give just, me the best note that you've ever gotten for Josh. Can you remember it? Ooh. No, probably not. 
but he has brought me a lot of coffees out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he, he just, you know, it's a family and they created a family. You know, it's actions, right? You can say you care. You can right. tell people you care, but it's not until you show people you care by leaving right. little, by, by, I mean, it's what, what time, what, like what things they do, what, what time do they take to go out of their way to, to show yeah. you yeah. That, like leaving a note, like mm-hmm. making sure to remember to pick up a coffee for the people that you care about. Like all these little things, yeah. actions. Yeah. Uh, do you want to reflect on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that goes everywhere. You know, um, like I said, we create a family there. And that's why, like, sometimes we'll wait a while to find the right fit, the right person to come in. Um, and sometimes the right people just, they weed themselves out on their own, which is kind of good. Um, but they are the kind of backbone. And Emma's really good about this, too, is is making sure if someone's having a hard time in life, that we're all, you know, there for them, that we take those extra moments to step up and say something to them, give them a hug, let them know we're here to be that support system for them. Um, you know, a lot of restaurants do that, but it's this family. one just feels special. Yeah. You know, we've had, you know, we've had cancer, cancer in the, this family. We've had, um, people that have moved away for three months cause they had to. Um, and we've all stepped up and supported them and worked for them and, and did whatever we needed to, to make sure that they were going to be okay. And when they came back that they would know that they were still with us. Is it unspoken? What do you think is going on that this level of care, this level of having one another's backs, like, is it, how do you make sure that that happens? Is it just integrity? Like what's going on? I think it, it's the trickle down thing. This is the good trickle down effect. Um, you know, you have Josh and Bo that have been doing that and Trina since the beginning. And then Emma, you know, I would like to say myself. Um, and it does. It just kind of trickles down and you just keep, you know, feeling that love. Now I'm going to sound like a huge hippie. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, it doesn't bother yeah. me one little bit. I mean, bit. it's you know, you have to feel supported and every person comes in there and you know, the one thing that we do ask everyone, and it, it's across the board, I think a lot of places do, is when people come in, you have to shut off whatever is going on right now in your life. Do this at this moment, and afterwards, we'll sit down and have a cocktail with you. We'll sit down, and you can smoke 16 cigarettes and <laughs> tell me what's going on. But, like, now we need you to be here for the restaurant. Mm. And they and they are. They do that. And they come in, and they bust their ass, and they do it. And then, you know, we that. all sit down and or have coffee outside or whatever it is. So what were those early days like growing a restaurant group? I mean, reflecting back at what that looked like then and what it is now, like what's different? How's it changed? How's it evolved? Um, well, there's more of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it has changed. It was having a lot of dynamic people in one place at one time. Um, which you would think would be easy. It's not. It's actually kind of the opposite. When you say dynamic, what do you mean? Like, I mean, you have, you know, very qualified, you know, people that have their own opinions. You know, you had three owners, four actually, all with their own ideas that kind of started clashing. Um, so it was interesting to go through that. And, you know, like I would go to Bo, but Emma would go to Josh or, you know, like, it was, you know, what it was. And, um, I think now there wasn't as much communication. We've made sure that through the years, it's everything. So communicated. So then the communication isn't what it is today. No, it Um, wasn't unfortunately. So the way you combated these people 
choosing different channels to communicate was by fill in the blank. What did you start doing differently to bring everybody on at the same table uh, to make sure all communication was going through all channels? What did that look like? How did that evolution look? Uh, that looked like um, managers meetings that really you sat down and really put everything on the table. Um, and it was weekly. It wasn't just every once in a while. It was weekly. Sometimes we'd just end up bullshitting. So at first, did you guys just not have scheduled meetings? Was it just like whenever you felt like then we there didn't. needed to be one, like you would just do it? Yeah, there wasn't for, I think, the first year. So how how they take us through the evolution of your meetings? Like, what are your meetings today? How often do you guys? Well, you're all in different places now. We're all too. in different places. Um, now it was all managers. But then someone always has to come in on their day off, yeah. which is horrible. Or you do it right before a really busy service. Um, so right now it's just Emma, myself, Josh and Bo, and we meet once a week and we bring in everything. Emma from Somerville, me from Paddle, Bo, you know, in Somerville and Amesbury, like, um, and we talk about everything that's going on and then we just kind of disperse the knowledge down. Um, we, you know, thank God for Google drive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's been a godsend. We just started, maybe we might be doing it or not. Basecamp. It's an app that yep. like really we started it. Hopefully it'd be great. If all those things you can chat, you can text, you can do all the emails. If all that was together, um, there's always an email that goes out about what was discussed so everyone can see it mm -hmm. again. It's communication. I communications over communication, but if everybody knows what's going on, there's, and feels solidly behind something or is able to say, Hey, I don't really like that. Or can we do this? Or what happens if this it's the way to function? So how would you describe what good communication is? If you could just summarize. Mm. I think good communication is honest. communication mm. um, is listening is really, you have to listen you have to be like, all right. Um, and it's, it's hitting every point, you know, it's hitting, especially in the kitchen, it's me being able to hit, you know, labor and, you know, food and menus and how our guests are perceiving things. And then, you know, Emma would just, you know, be able to talk about, you know, um, her, her guest experiences and, you know, I don't know. It's just a lot of honesty. It's, it's it can be tiring at times. I think on Thursdays, we, I have three meetings all in a row. Wow. And by the end of it, I'm like a comatose a little. Staring at the clock. Like a, yeah, like but my calendar is full. Recess. Yeah, and I know what's going on. Exactly. Like TikTok. Yeah. Um, please pour me the glass of wine. Uh, or tequila is probably more like it. But, yeah, I don't know. I just communication is not being afraid to really hear other people's ideas. I love it. And that's, I think that's the key part first and foremost is first seeking to understand, then seeking to be understood. And you really can't make your point until you understand you. And why not be quiet and collect as much data as possible mm -hmm. to come back with the best opinion possible. We just want to be heard right away, but why not gather that information to make a better statement? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know why you would cheat yourself out of listening. <laughs> right, exactly. So, uh, moving on, uh, how long did it take you f to go from the? It was 2009. When did the second location open? Was it? It was first Trina's uh, mm -hmm. lounge. What was the second location? The second location was Parlor Sports. Okay, and what was that like going from one to two? Um, it was interesting because we had just one kitchen, and it was trying to. Those were the. It was like a, a shared kitchen. So I yeah. So basically, side. Starlight Lounge was really cool it had like a back passage and had two bars and then as you know the newness wore off it was harder to keep both bars functioning so they wanted to figure out something to put in there 
um, that would have a draw. Um, there were a lot of ideas, but the one that really stuck was Jay's idea of um, a sports bar, which made sense. You know, it's Boston. It's a yeah. sports town, and things really clear out. When there's a game on or a big game, you don't have as many guests. So um, it's worked out really well in that aspect of we put in a kitchen, and, you know, at first – it was hard to figure out how to run it where, how do we get the people over the other side to come in and get their food and the logistics of everything? How do we make sure that they're that one side's not waiting for food while the other side who just got hit is getting plated? Um, it is now what four years later. No, it's gotta be less more than that. Six years. They would slap me six years later. And it's, it's great. It's fluid. Parlor sports is, has been named the best sports bar like wow. almost every year. And I bet for you the guys last are couple. jamming right now. Oh, uh, <laughs> with the world yeah, series. Yeah, exactly. Going it's awesome. great. It's uh, small. It's quaint, and it's it's not your average sports bar. You know, like it's food all made from scratch, and you know the the staff in there. Garvey does an amazing job um, leading them, and it's you walk in and everyone screams your name. You know, it's so wait, let's, it's good let's, feeling. Let's we can't just say uh, uh, Garvey. Yeah, Garvey Solomon. You can't just say Garvey does an amazing job. You got to paint that picture of what an amazing job is. What does he do that's so amazing? Oh, he just cares about everybody. He knows everybody. He like high fives them. He knows what they're doing. He knows, you know that you know their soccer game. He knows so much about sports. He knows so much about music. He's just kind of like a guru, and you know, and people love it. They go to see him. He's got a smile and a hug for everybody. So Garvey, what's his title? He's the manager over. He's a parlor sports manager. Okay. And what kind of uh, things do you guys do to incentivize these rock stars like Garvey to, to stick with you, to, to grow with you? Um, you know, that's a really good question because, you know, we, you just got to treat people right. And, you know, and they're part of the family and you listen and you try to do as much as you possibly can. Um, it's it's as everybody knows nowadays in the the restaurant industry it, it it's hard to find good people so when you do especially find those today. yeah especially today when you do find those good people you do as much as you can to hold on to them um it's little things like letting them know that we care about them you know showing up to hospitals if they're sick or you know just being there it's that support system again i'm talking about yeah. um no, it's really specific. It's not I'm, like we can all pay them a million dollars because, yeah, as we know, we're restaurants. We, yeah, like, if we could, we would. If right? we could, and you know, Josh says it all the time. If I could, I pay everyone so much money, yeah. but it's not there. Yeah. So I'm curious. Um, I feel like there might be a few people listening to this. I know I've come across a few circumstances where there's a shared commissary or a shared kitchen mm-hmm. uh, that supports multiple locations. Uh, and you mentioned that you're very fluid. You have to be able to adjust. Like, are there any unique mm-hmm. systems that you guys worked out to, to be elastic, to be able to stretch, and to be able to, to shift? Like, how does that work? How I mean, every it, how I'm, I'm hesitant to go here because every kitchen's different and every mm-hmm. kitchen's unique. But is there like a nugget you can drop on us, a, the, like a trick that you developed over time? I think every place is going to be different. Um, being able to do that, there's a lot of cross utilization. Uh, I think you know, even though it might be just as easy as you know you know, a handful of baby arugula here or there, but at least you're crossing it over to yeah. both places. So basically you have one menu. Uh, you started with the starlight lounge, mm-hmm. lounge menu yep. and you said, okay, well, instead of bringing on twice as much inventory, why don't we just figure out how we can diversify a different menu using the ingredients we already have? Right. Okay. Yep. 
Using the the majority of it, like trying to cross it and then coming up with stuff that goes with so it. So you can minimize how much more you have to bring in to make use of the space you have. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll like change Starlight's menu and we'll have something cool on it that, you know, maybe one ingredient goes onto a sandwich over at Parlor. So, you know, yeah. Parlor's menu is a little bit smaller. So it's, you know, but it's still fun and funky. That's cool. So yeah. uh, the next restaurant was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was that... Wait a second. Where am I? Is that Audubon? It was Audubon. Okay. Yeah. So was that was not on the same location. That was further away. That was further away. So Jay, um, Jay and Bo both worked at Audubon years, years and years ago. Um, and so they worked with the owners and they, you know, came up with a deal and they, we took over Audubon. We didn't do much to it. Uh, it's a beautiful restaurant in its own. Um, now the outside, we they, they umped it up a little bit. Um, there's a TV out there, for which is great because they're right in the Fenway area. Um, they're on Beacon Street. So, uh, Again, I'm, good. I'm sure you guys are pretty psyched right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's always it's good. Like, like, you know, it's series. so crazy. Good for it's, business. it's funny how much like businesses really depend on these sports teams doing well. Absolutely. And like, you know, I'm not a big sports fan, but I'll be like, oh, come on. What? (laughs) We could have gotten a couple more games out of that. Um, But yeah, so yeah, they're super stoked. It's been great. It it gets so, it's really tall ceilings and it's loud and it's fun. And so with Autobond, this was the first time you guys kind of had to split up, right? You were Mm -hmm. taking the same bandwidth, uh, five owners or there's five. Well, at that point, there was only three Jay, Bo, and Josh. And Josh. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Emma was front of house. Emma was the manager over at Starlight, and then I came over and was the chef. Back of house. Yep. Okay. Of Audubon and um, Starlight. So five leaders, three owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, you went from five in one location or four in one location, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then split. Uh, who? How did you decide who left? Did, did Josh and Bo leave to go? Audubon was already going, and they already. How did that? They, they absorbed Audubon, or they came into. Well, Josh and Bo had already kind of um, were able to back out, you know, and as Jay was taking over management. They had built you up to this point where they didn't, basically didn't need to be They didn't, anymore. yeah. They didn't, like, they were there, but they, they didn't need to manage. They didn't, you know, we had enough great staff underneath that, like, they came in for their ideas and stuff, but they didn't have to be on site every day. Um, and then when we moved over... Emma became the general manager, and Jay moved over. When you move to, over. You're saying go to Audubon, Audubon. yeah. Okay. So you, Audubon. you created opportunity. Yeah, promotion, absolutely, basically. absolutely. Um, which it was good because you know I think for me I was itching. I, I chefs get the itch all the time, and I we'd already been doing a couple of years, and I was already kind of trying to figure out what my next step was. Again, who do I want to work for? Who would I want to learn from? Um, and I didn't want to leave Josh and Bo because I did, you know, was you learning more. Good. And, I, you know, they're great people. Yeah. They treat you with respect and, you know, they value you. I think that overall we value everybody. Um, but feeling valued was, like, great. So um, it was, you know, it was awesome when they were like, hey, we're going to go open another spot. And I was like, cool, I don't have to leave this company. I could just move over and I'll just, you know, keep cooking and just be part of it. And maybe I'll move up and maybe one day there will be a partnership. Um, so I did, I went over there and got my ass handed to me for, I think a year and a half. At Audubon. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that you know. What was that like? Red Sox season is no joke, people. It is no joke. (laughs) So was it just the volume you were doing? The 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 volume, yeah. What else changed that made you get your ass handed to you? Well, it was it was a learning. It was a learning curve for me to (laughs) so many things. Um, It was a learning curve to learn how to manage both. Okay. Um, You know, I'd be running from one restaurant to the other to make sure I can meet meeting or you know make sure they got what they needed. So when did it click? What 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 happened for? You know, what was like mm. the, the base of that curve to the peak of that curve? Like what changed in between that time? Um, honestly, it didn't click. It absolutely didn't for me. It was really hard to get staff members. Again, there was like that horrible blizzard. Um, couldn't get trains in. You know, I was working 80 to 100 hours a week. I was doing four people's job. I had someone like that became pregnant. Someone got deported. Like, you know, there was just all everything. It felt like that moment of just keep swimming. It was not, I was not swimming. Um, And it was, you know, one of the hardest times that I had. And I, knowing who I was, I just pushed through everything and don't think. And, you know, it got to the point where I was like asking for help because I didn't know what to do. And, you know, they were just like, you know, let's. They changed it up. They put Sergio in there to cook. He's a great chef, and they were like, just oversee him. You know, take a step back, take a breath, and thank God because I didn't really know how much I had left. So um, I mean, obviously, you got to grind. You know, there's gonna be times you, you to. gotta grind. You gotta put your nose to the ground and and just grind. And it's gonna be hard, but it will also get easier. And it sounds like one of the things you did to to push it over the edge. To, to make it easier was to ask for help. Did, mm-hmm. did, did I hear that right? I did, but I was also stubborn about it. Because okay. I didn't want, you know, it felt it felt like I had worked so hard and then, you know, they wanted somebody else to be able to do what I wanted to yeah. do. Um, and they wanted me to do the paperwork and I wasn't getting the fun stuff. And, and I was like, oh, that sucks, you know? Yeah. Nobody wants to do that. But then it was the best thing that happened because I did take a step back and I, I did learn a lot. And I, I got to learn about uh, myself more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say, I feel like there's a, a trend in this industry, especially in the, the back of house of ego and pride of Absolutely. being able to do it all and to, to be the hardest working person mm-hmm. and to be able to outwork everybody. It's a badge that we wear on our, on oh, our, God. our chef coat, right? Absolutely. Uh, I, I, say shouldn't say, I shouldn't say R because I'm not a chef and I w- could never do what you guys do. Uh, but, you know, we also have to know when it's time to say, what am mm-hmm. I trying to prove? Mm-hmm. Like, why can't I ask for help? I'm like, I'm dying over here. Yeah. Uh, we could be so much better if I got the help. Yeah. So how did that conversation look? Um, it looked like a, a lunch with Bo where I was like, I'm not, like, not achieving what I think that, you know, everybody at Audubon wants, that Audubon needs. Um, you were I don't setting know what to goals, do. Were not hitting them or were you tracking things or was it just a feeling? Um, it was just a feeling. Well, no, there were, there weren't goals. There was just... It was just feeling like I was just making it through, mm-hmm. you know, just making it through, you know, didn't have the extra oomph to give at the time that you, that it needed. It needed awesome specials and this and that. And I was putting up stuff, but it, it could have used a lot of, and you know, I'll admit it now. Back yeah. then I wouldn't have, you know, yeah. and that was well, it. I appreciate you opening up and being honest. So that's what, the, sure. that's what this is all about is getting real and opening up and sharing okay. experiences. So but if I cry, I'm right here. All right. And I, I'm like, I like to hug too. So I, <laughs> I know <got> the <laughs> end of this, we're going to have just hugging next to each other out of one microphone. <laughs> yeah. Pam walked back here. You saw the hug I, dro- oh, I dropped on her. Oh my God. I love her so much. <laughs> Pam and I worked over at the, uh, the farm, uh, 
what the heck I can't even think. Applecrest. Applecrest Farm. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Side note. Distractions. It's okay. Uh, okay. So one thing I really want to get into is mm-hmm. what one saying I love that comes up all the time in the show. It's, it should be a mantra: is to treat it like you own it. Right. Absolutely. Uh, now you you are a partner. You treated Absolutely. it like you owned it. When did this happen? Did this happen after Audubon or? When did that opportunity come onto your table? Um, you know, Bo and I had had that conversation before, and he's like, "Well, you know, when you own something," and I was like, "I don't think I would work any le- any harder if I owned it. I don't think I could. I don't think I would work any less either." Um, and it's true. The only difference is You're a rare breed. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we're running around. The only difference is I'm not I'm not in the kitchen. I'm not doing those stints. I'm. I'm managing people more. I'm on doing paperwork more. Um, I'm, you know, still work six, seven days a week. Yeah. I'm doing (laughs) podcasts on days that, you know, I wish I was sleeping, but no, 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 no. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Um, I'm like, oops. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that's a good mantra because, and you know, it's the same thing. I always tell everyone, all my managers lead and do exactly whatever you want this person to do. You have to do it yourself. The minute you don't clean something, the minute you don't clean out the low boy or whatever it is, and they see you not do it, it's a done deal. Yeah. It's the new standard. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There it is. So what was that transition like being the person that's constantly in there setting the standard? You still set the standard to this day, but having to transition to more of a leadership role of coaching and mentoring and, and guiding, uh, and, and doing the other stuff. Like how did you transition? How did that look? What advice do you have for somebody going through that transition? Um, again, I, I think I really, a lot of that came down from Bo and Josh, um, and Emma watching Emma and how she managed, um, it was a little bit weirder, harder because I was doing back fronting, managing back of the house and front of the house. So it was, I was still learning at the time what to do and how to do front of the house in a better way. Um, but that's it. You have to like lead, you know, sorry, you have to follow and see what people are doing. And really they, they were great mentors to me. They still are. Mm-hmm. I still call, I still call, call Emma or Josh. I'll be like, what, what's, what do I do here? What's going on? Yeah. Um, I think like you hit it on the nail on the head a little while ago when you said you asked for help. Um, my life got a lot easier. And when I started asking for help, when I started, even in the kitchen, I'd be banging out prep for like a huge party by myself and trying to get ready for a service and whatever. And Bo and Josh be like, what can we do to help? And then at that moment I'm like, nothing because I, I'm already doing it and this is my kitchen and I'm already focused and I can't take a minute to stop and add, like yeah, tell you, I'm in the zone. um, now it's like, okay, I've got five things for you to do. Here <laughs> yeah. you go. Here's your list. I was yeah. hoping you would ask because I wrote them down. <laughs> oh, um, that you asked. Exactly. So it's, it's all about teamwork and it's all about one thing we have here is there's no front of the house and back of the house. Yeah. There is one united team. Yeah. And uh, something like there's no one way to success in this industry and there's no one way to run a restaurant or to build a restaurant. There's so Mm-mm. many ways yeah. to get from here to there. And the way that you took which is definitely a, a common way is treating it like you own it. And, yeah. and one day you eventually will. What advice do you have for somebody who's in a restaurant who feels like they should have skin in the game, like they should have equity? What's your advice for that person to, 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 to be invited to sit at the table? Um, I think for me, um, this, this does get personal. Um, while I was getting my ass kicked at Audubon and, and, thinking and hoping that that would make me a partner. Um, 
they they made Emma a partner over at Starlight, and she very, very well deserved it. Um, but it felt like I'd been punched in the mm. face. You know, I felt like, wait, what? What's wrong with me? What did I do? Um, I literally went through a breakup. I felt like I had broken up with somebody. And when I went and opened my mouth and talked to Bo, and he was like, oh, I didn't even know that's what you wanted. I was like, what? How did you not know this? Everybody wants this. You know, are you kidding me? And he was like, I honestly didn't know. He's like, let me talk to Josh. He's like, come back and manage more at Starlight and we'll figure out a plan. And then, you know, God, thankfully, God willing, they were like, hey, just so you know, we we found a new spot. We want to move up north and you'll be a partner. You'll run it and blah, blah. I was like, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So did, uh, I mean, you can't speak for Emma. Did Emma let Mm -hmm. it be known? Did she speak up? Did she say, hey, I want... I want in or I'm going to look for other opportunities. Yeah. I mean, I had been at meetings when she had said, you know, I want, I want, where are we going to go guys? Like, you know, she, she was very open about, she wanted to be a part of this. Um, and I think that was, that's always been my downfall. I've always been more quiet and about things that I want and need. And, you know, thank God for therapy, (laughs) like (laughs) lots of therapy. Thanks Lonnie. Um, You know, I've learned to stick up, stick, yeah. like speak up more. And, and like, that, really, it's all, it's all about is, again, communication yeah. when it comes down to it. Exactly. You, you have to let it. I think there's two things to take from that. Uh, the first thing, you treat it like you own it. Bust your ass. Become a person of value. Uh, so, you know, like, can we operate at this level without this person here? Are they so right? valuable? Like, you can't yeah. just expect that you've been someplace for five years, ten years, that you deserve to sit at the table. Like, you need to become invaluable. Invaluable. Uh, exactly. There's, so, yeah, there's a sure. saying about that. Exactly. It's just every every person is replaceable. Yeah. Everybody's replaceable. So you have to make yourself that point where, you know what, this place Lynch will fall pin, apart. You know? If you let me go, it's too bad. Like, it's going to fall apart. So, yeah, the more value you can put on your shoulders, the more of an asset to that team that you are, then the more leverage you have when you do speak up and let it be known. And that's the second right. part. Yeah. You know, huh. don't go to the table sitting down expecting to, to have skin in the I game if know. you're not valuable, if you're easily repl- – if you can honestly say, like, I am irreplaceable, <laughs> if you can say that you're irreplaceable, then – you shouldn't have that conversation. Right. You, you know? Yeah. You're already there. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people expect uh, things when they're, when Time they're not there enough, yet. You know? Um, yeah. I mean, that's kind of funny. The, the whole industry now you have all these young kids coming out of culinary school and they immediately expect $18 an hour and they expect that they're going to be a sous chef and you're like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. <laughs> yeah. I just watched you blanch something to death. Like, <laughs> no, it's not going <laughs> to happen. Um, but I think as your career moves on and you keep getting building and building and you find the right spot, that's the other thing. Um, it's not always the right spot, you know, like Audubon wasn't the right spot for me at the moment, you know, and because I wanted it so bad, I just refused to admit it. But, um, when you find the right spot, it, it feels good and it feels right. And you really do become the best that you can be. Yeah. The other thing that I pulled from that story too, is how willing Bo was, uh, Bo and Josh were to, as soon as you let it be known, they're like, yeah, like this is what you want. Let's see if we can make it happen. And I think that is the a key attribute to successful restaurateurs is it's, it's not about your success. It's about everyone else's success and creating opportunity for other people mm-hmm. in that's what we're here to do. That's what capitalism should be about is creating opportunity for other people. Yeah, um, absolutely. What, what advice do you have regarding that whole experience and how they were so willing to bring you in and give you a seat at the table? Um, 
it really gave me more confidence. Like, honestly, yeah. uh, it made me feel like, okay, I did it. Not so much. I made it, but okay. Now, now we got to push forward. Now we got to be, now we got to make this the best, the best thing ever. And then, it, and then with it came a lot of anxiety, you know, of, okay, I don't want this to fail. How do we make it the best? You know? And, and it was, you know what? I did work harder in the beginning. Um, but I was able to manage better. I was able to push everything where they needed to be and, you know, ask for help when it needed. Um, so you now are, are in Newburyport in Amesbury. Um, uh, mm-hmm. do you open two? Mainly. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. Mainly you open two additional locations, uh, within the restaurant group, uh, since becoming a partner, uh, Trina Starlight Lounge, actually in chronological order, Paddle Inn in Newburyport, mm-hmm. and uh, Trina Starlight Lounge in Amesbury, which is the, the second location of that brand. Right. Uh, how has it been as an owner? How's your life? How have, how have you evolved in those past two years? Uh, in the past two years, um, it's been two years, right? It's been two years. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, one, I, you know, I, I think moving outside the city is a whole different world. Um, my anxiety level's a little less. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful, beautiful up here. I live by the beach. You can't beat that, you know? <laughs> um, it's definitely changed in the fact, like even the other day I was staring at, at an old scar in my hand and I was like, oh, it's disappearing. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I got a little sad and then I realized I don't have the burns and the cuts and the marks of, you know, the badge of honor. Yeah, I earned that, that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're all disappearing. And, you know, now I'm getting paper cuts from doing paperwork. <laughs> and like, yeah, a carpal tunnel from just t- t- typing on the computer. But um, it's just a different shift. Mm. It's a whole different shift. Um of being able to manage front of the house and back of the house. How are you uh, adapting to that shift? Is it good? Is it bad? Um, you know, it was hard because we opened Starlight Amesbury a year after we opened Paddle. It had just gotten its feet, you know? Like, we How did like, you know cool. you were ready for Starlight too? Uh, I don't think we, <laughs> I think we all <laughs> took really, really deep breaths, you know? Um, we have business partners, Eric and uh, Jay over there. Um, who actually owned the building with that Starlight original in Somerville we, that it's in. Um, they live up here. And so they're like, we have a space we want you to look at. Eric and Jay, were they the owners before it was the Starlight Lounge in yeah. Amesbury? So they've had some trouble with that location. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Somerville. They oh, owned the building there. So they were like, hey, come look at this. We it's wanna, a beautiful spot. It's beautiful. And they're like, you know, what do you think? We could all partner up and we could buy, buy the building and, you know, keep the restaurant and do open something else. So I'm really interested in and before this is probably be the, the last, I mean, we're almost at current time chronologically. We'll probably move into the speed. We, we can talk after too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I mean that, that space, I mean, I've, I've been actually going uh-huh. to that restaurant since I've been 21 years old. Yeah. You know? I forgot. Yeah. You're uh, up here. And it's changed in the mm-hmm. past uh, 10 years. It's changed brand. Like I, I've lost count how many yeah. times it's changed brand. And there's been a lot of great, things going on in there. The executive chef that's next door over yeah. at Brian, uh, Paul Callahan, Callahan was the yeah. executive chef when it was number eight kitchen and they were doing some really great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it always seems like no, any restaurant that ever gets in there doesn't quite get traction. Right. Um, did you know that going into this, this space Were you yes. familiar with this, with this history? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I had people come up and be like, you know, that it's cursed. I'm like, you don't <laughs> say that to people. That's so rude. Um, it's like saying your baby's ugly, you know, <laughs> you don't do it. Um, 
Yeah, we knew that there were issues. We knew that, you know, thank God Paul did a sweet thing and walked through with us and showed us some stuff. Paul's that great. God, have you had him on here? Yeah. Oh, I yep. love him so very yeah. much. Um, I'm, I've been volunteering at Post and Beam, helping them get <gasps> Shut Yeah, up. it's amazing what they're doing. I'm sure he'll be on the show again before. I was going to say, you should have him on here oh, if he's you great. haven't. He's okay. great, too. Yeah. But he walked through and showed us. He was like, in this and this. So it was a good to have, like, our eyes open and know and be able to fix things before. But, um, yeah, it needs help and it needs love. And it's a great area. Amesbury is awesome. It's just, you know, a little quiet town that's building up. A lot of people are moving up north. Um, and so, you know, it just, I think the thing with some of the other restaurants is they were just not right for the time. Yep. That's what I'm hoping. Fingers crossed. You know, Starlight. I would agree. I would agree. Sorry. Yeah, Keep no, going. no. Starlight. Starlight is, you know, we put another Starlight in there because it, it does, it speaks to all generations. You know, you have families and you have the young hipsters and you have like the people like me, the old cranky people. So like it, it's good cocktails and, you know, good food and it's not overpriced. It's really approachable. It's, you know. You know, I'll try to paint the picture. You walk in and it's yeah. very, I think the word would be um, modern. Uh, what's the word for that? The fancy word that people you throw around when, when they're trying to talk about modern. Um, it'll come to me <laughs> later. But it's modern. The menus, everything's up to date. It's it's clean. It's uh it's weird. You wouldn't expect there to be pinball machines at the back. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind yeah. of, it's not fine dining, but it's not casual dining. It's like someplace in the middle, uh, with, which is a lot, right. but like you would, de- like you definitely wouldn't expect that ping pong table in the back there. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, like you said, it speaks to everybody, the people mm-hmm. who want to go out and have a good night and eat a really good meal, but not be too, it's not out of reach in the sense it's too fancy. Uh, but it's also like you can go in there after nine o'clock with your, your friends and cause a little bit of ruckus, you know, yeah. not too crazy. It's, it's a, it's a really good balance. Yeah. Um, and I think you guys will be successful. Uh, I hope you will be successful. It uh, sounds like you're doing a great job. Well, uh, we're trying. Yeah. Um, and I think the other issue too, with that spot, uh, is that I think is where you hit the, the head on the nail is that that space is kind of wasn't ready for the other restaurants that were there yet. Yeah. There's a wave, um, that didn't catch the wave quite right but i think now mm-hmm. that city is starting to really start to come up mm-hmm. i think yeah. the timing is much better uh the timing yeah. is better yeah. and i think people are, are coming through and wanting to put more stuff in yeah people are tired of driving 20 miles to the boston's or the portsmouth's uh or portland or like the, the, yeah the middle to large size cities they want to go to the small cities or the the decent sized towns right and they get the same experience and that's and yeah and that's yeah it's great to watch that wave of mm-hmm. Great stuff coming all the way up, you know, super fines in Manchester by the sea. Love them. Um, Every little town has places that you could really go in and it's not just, you know, a chain restaurant or it's not a dumpy place. It's, you know, quality food and, you know, it's all approachable. So, yeah. Great stuff. Anything that we haven't discussed before we thank our sponsors and go to the speed round? Oh, speed round scared. Um, (laughs) No, I just, you know. Keep telling people you got to find what you love, yeah. and you know this industry. It's hard, but when it gives you back love, it gives you back love. Beautiful, awesome stuff. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. If you listen to Restaurant Unstoppable, I'm sure you've heard me say it before, but I'll say it again. There are two 
things that you need to let determine your growth. The first thing, that's people. The second thing, that's cash flow. And we've got you covered on the cash flow part of things because I'm working with cashflowtool.com, the ultimate cloud-based solution for your business. Cashflowtool.com is simple, powerful, and predictive. It's simple because it requires no data entry. It's always up to date and it works on any device, anywhere. It's powerful because with its built-in cash flow calendar, activity feed, and anomaly detector, you instantly know all aspects of your cash flow with no surprises. And it's predictive because you know your cash flow today and you can anticipate it tomorrow. Head over to www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and you'll receive pro features at the essential features price. All right, I have a question for you. How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated $40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based RestaurantEthics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to ethicssuites.com slash restaurants unstoppable and you'll get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success uh determination what is your biggest weakness procrastination (laughs) what's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process um, it's, it's exactly that. that. I, you know, it's something you people always ask what the people's strengths are. I always ask what their weaknesses are. Mm. I think that may, helps people really sit down and have to really think about themselves. And in that, they actually kind of tell you more than they really want to do. It's great. Uh, what's a current challenge today? How are you dealing with it? Oh, staffing. I think everybody is feeling that squeeze. Um, there's just not as much labor out there. And there's definitely more restaurants and they keep opening and, um, you know, people, again, I said it, the people are coming in wanting $18 an hour and having to be like, you don't have that experience. And um, you just keep switching things around. You find solid people, as we talked about, you don't let them go. Um, and you just, you know, we were talking about maybe how to change menus to make it more fluid. Mm-hmm. But you're, it's constantly a thing. And I think that everyone's struggling with it right now. Yeah, it's you're definitely not alone. I think really yeah. what it comes down to is going to be a matter of the strong survive. Uh, you know, and it's going to be a matter of culture and whoever is able to attract onto themselves the best and hang on to those people. Right. And mm-hmm. eventually people are going to start to fall and not be able to hang. So uh, <clears throat> what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team uh, a way to be better, a way to, to behave? Uh, I think our biggest thing that, you know, my biggest thing is honesty. Um, and when people come in, you know, the people that, you know, burn something or, 
you know, don't do something right and try to hide it. Um, that's something I'm like, just tell us, you know, we can't do anything if you're not honest and open. Um, you know, if, if you're not feeling something or you're feeling, you know, pressure for someone or we can't change anything if you're not honest, um, you know, don't cheat, lie or steal. Yeah. You know, I'm going to add on to that. You also have to create a culture where people feel like they can be honest. Absolutely. So if you come down on somebody for making a mistake, well, guess Mm -hmm. what? Uh, they're going to hide that mistake the next time it happens because the first time you know yeah. you went to town on them. So make sure that like people they can feel, feel like, that they yeah. can feel that you, exactly. they can come to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is this is a way, uh, not a behavior, but a way to to, to treat your your guests uh, to go the extra mile. Um, I think we you know both front of the house and back of the house. Like again we say it all the time. There is no front of the house. There's no back of the house or, you know, the kids are in the weeds. The chefs are running the food. Um, but it's really get to know people like on a personal level, find, you know, have those people feel that you actually care about them Mm. because at the end of the day, people are coming in here probably after fighting with their husband or, you know, their kids are acting up. They just want to have a nice dinner and have a good time and feel that somebody cares. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner or operator? Oh, um, I think obviously Danny Meyer, you know, setting the table, but I think personally, uh, the four agreements, what's the big lesson you took from the four agreements? Um, believing in yourself and realizing that regardless of what's happening or what's pressing you down, that you can go forward. And it's just, you know, it's more of a spiritual lifting beautiful if there was one tool or resource you wish you had now or wish you had when you're getting started what would it be um i think oh that's actually two <laughs> one we already <laughs> talked about it's a uh, base camp yeah um I, that's awesome to have everything and be able to talk to everyone again going back to communication, communication yeah um the other thing is i just heard about this app where you can actually scan a barcode and it'll bring up all the ingredients in the thing and a lot of people with allergies have this out um but i would love to be able to scan i mean we make 99 percent of everything in house but scan it and look and see like okay like in the pinch if you know we're running around instead of just like going through all the guides and looking at all the allergies yeah. and everything and you know remembering if we just go boop and be like yep so seal it you know see i can't eat that there is i don't know if it's, you're gonna it's tell not, me it you're well so i don't smart. know if that app exists it might exist if you're listening to this and you know of that ex- that Let of that know. app yeah like send me a message uh comments in the the post that, that goes on Instagram, like let us know and tag both of us. Uh, but there is somebody who was just on the show. It's not an app, but it's a service called Certistar that allows hmm. your guests to s- search restaurants that cater to their special needs. So oh, they go cool. through and they upload your entire menu, or if you have a new change, like you basically list all the ingredients and it enters a database. So somebody can look at hmm. like they can type in their allergies and it like eliminates all the options that they can't eat and it helps them find restaurants they can go to. Oh, wow. So it's not quite what you're talking about, but it's called Certistar. They're just on the show. Certistar. Sorry, C-E-R-T-I-S-T-A-R. Okay. Certistar. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. No problem. Okay. What's the one thing you feel your restaurant, or what's the one thing you feel restaurateurs don't know well enough or do well or often enough? Um. You know, I don't, I don't know. I really, this is a hard one because there's so many levels of restaurateurs. Um, but I feel like some of them I go into and I know the owners are just, they're not there, you know, like they're not present. They don't know their staff. They don't know really what's going on. Um, 
I think that's the difference between having managing partner restaurants versus just someone who builds it and lets other people run it. Yeah, why um, do you think that's the difference? Why do you think we need more restaurants like what you what you guys are doing? Because it's the little things. It's really for me like I you know two of our places are only 36 seats. It's it's really the feeling of being welcome yeah. and hospitable and and knowing everybody and you know greatness isn't determined by reach. It's determined by impact, depth, right? And that's mm. kind of how I like to think People think that great is the bigger, the better, you know, right. and yeah. that's what determines their greatness. But really it's the impact you can have on a few, you know, I'd rather have a deeper impact with a few people than have a shallow impact with thousands of people. Right on. Um, yeah. That's kind of how I think of it. But, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> uh, I it, have my new quote. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, if you got, the, this is the last question, by the way, it's a doozy. So brace for impact. Oh, uh, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things, you know, to be true uh, for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? It's so narcissistic. <laughs> <laughs> um, three pieces of wisdom. Uh, again, find where you fit in most and, and love it and be there. Um, don't stay in a place, space that's not right for you. Mm. Um, Is that two? Sure, that's two. Okay. okay. <laughs> and three, wisdom. Oh, my cornbread recipe. <laughs> Let's just get narcissistic. That was narcissistic. Yep. Cornbread recipe. I'll leave it finally. Nobody knows it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, this has been a blast. I really have enjoyed speaking with you. Uh, we Thanks, wrap up. Eric. Thank you. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one oh. independent operator? Somebody you admire and look up to in this industry who's doing it right, who you think needs to be made an example of. Uh, who's that person? Call them out. Um, I would say Chef Todd Weiner. Chef Todd yeah. Weiner. Look out. I'm coming after you. Nice. And uh, let the folks at home know if we want to follow what you're doing here at all of your restaurants uh, mm-hmm. or maybe just connect with you. Come join your team. What's the best yeah. way to connect? Um, right now, it, the best would be to uh, email paddle in Newburyport uh, at Gmail. So that's paddle, P-A-D-D-L-E-I-N-N. Yep. In, so paddle in with two N's dot com. Uh, Newburyport after New- it. Sorry, say it one more time. So paddle in Newburyport <laughs> at Gmail. Yeah, I, that's what I get for trying to be helpful. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Go there. And uh, that's it. Thank you so awesome. much. There thank is no you. questioning. You are unstoppable. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Cheers. We'll cut it there. Awesome. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Susie Maitland dropping bombs of knowledge left and right. I loved today's conversation. And uh, I had mentioned uh, my conversation with her uh, partners, her business partners, Josh Childs and Bo Sturm. Uh, That was episode 356. There was some confusion there. I apologize. So head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 356 if you want to pick up uh, that interview and, and learn more from people that are a part of this restaurant group. Uh, so some key takeaways today, I think uh, just that emotional control, that emotional intelligence to control your emotions when things get out of hand. Uh, like she says, just remember, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. And like we opened today's conversation with the, the, the line from Susie breath, motherfucker breath, uh, keep calm, keep pushing forward and, uh, you'll, you'll come out the other end. Just put that nose down and do the work. And also I love this idea of, um, 
you know, how do you show your people you care? How do, how do you let your people know you care? Well, you show them you care, right? Uh, you take the time to write a note or to write an email uh, or to address them publicly or to just get them coffee or to make them a partner when they ask to become a partner because they've earned it and you know that uh, you can't do it without them. So awesome stuff right there. And I think the other really key stuff that came from today's conversation is this idea of good communication, right? Uh, Communicate what you need. When you need help, ask for help. When you want a promotion, ask for a promotion. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get it, but at least people know that it's what you want and they can give it to you when the time comes, right? So, uh, and I think the last part is treat it like you own it. When you do treat it like you own it and you become invaluable, uh, that's when things start to happen uh, that, you know, really start to change the position you're in in life. So great stuff there. Like always, guys, please do reach out to me, Eric at RestaurantUnstoppable.com. Twitter, Instagram, Eric Catchatory, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Tell me who you want to hear from. I'm hanging out in New England for the next couple of weeks. Uh, Boston, New Hampshire, Maine, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Vermont. I want to hit up your restaurants. If you're listening to this and you're in one of those states and you know of somebody who needs to be made an example of somebody who you're all aspiring to be more, more like put them on my radar. I'll get them on the show. We can learn from those folks together. Uh, and yeah, uh, please keep those five star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher radio coming. They help so much, but the best way to support this podcast is by sharing the mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry. If we give these people a platform to share their knowledge on and, and allow them to influence the people of this industry, ultimately the industry itself will transform. That's the mission. Let's make it happen. All right, guys, that's all for today. I love you all until next time. Peace out. Out.